interesting edition of Sports Arcana. I trust you've had a wonderful week, wherever you are. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I hope you're having a very good time. Here where I'm doing this recording, the weather is gradually changing. But for wherever you are, I trust you're good. And you're welcome to another interesting edition where we bring you stories good news or things that are happening within the African context. We talk about our problems, our stories, however good or bad they are, we talk about them. Today, I'm going to be looking at the story of a young man who, this time about six, seven, eight years ago, was literally nobody. But today, is tearing the world of football apart and is gradually becoming a demigod. I wouldn't say semi-god. Let me just use the word the demigod in faraway Naples. He plays for Napoli, is a Nigerian. It's probably the first top-class Nigerian football has had in a very, very, very long while. And, of course, when you talk about Napoli, there can only be one god, and that is Diego Armando Maradona. And there have been several other players, Gianfranco Zola, the Higuain, a lot of players that have embraced the light blue colors of Napoli. But at the moment, currently, the main man is our own Nigerian African product, Victor Osimen. And to talk us through the phenomenon of this gentleman who at a very young age is hitting a very high peak of his career, is a well-known journalist. He's worked in Nigeria, in Africa, and was the editor for Goal Nigeria for several years before relocating to Germany. And is forging a good career as well to as a journalist in Germany as well too, particularly when it comes to bringing good African stories. It brings me a pleasure to welcome Lolade Adewi. Lolade, thank you for joining us on Sport Africana. Thank you very much, Adiola. Happy to be here. And uh, hello, everyone listening. Happy yeah. to talk you through this interesting story. And uh, before we go on, I need to say this. How are you feeling now? I know you had an accident when you went to Qatar during the World Cup. And I saw the picture. I, I didn't even know you were you had a picture. I didn't hear from you for a while until I saw your picture. How are you now? Yeah, I mean, I came out of the accident very well. Nothing really, nothing major it was just the shake up, the trauma of being in an accident, the mental, but, but physically everything was fine. Immediately after the accident, we were taken to hospital. Every precaution was taken, you know, in an ambulance with a neck brace and everything. And so we checked, uh, scanned, you know, and thankfully it was a scary, scary moment. But I'm thankful to be alive. And then and, and it just showed me the thin line between life and death, you know. We were on our way to the game, uh, Senegal versus England in the, in the second round of 16. While in the car, I was on, on my phone watching France. Uh, I can't remember which team France played in the round of 16 now. And I was just watching. I mean, I, I was thinking, oh, Hopefully Senegal does well as an African, but I'm also I was also really hoping that uh, Bukayo Saka, you know, does well for England, you know. And suddenly, it just heard, heard bam, and everything stopped, and this SUV just struck us from the rear. And you just realize the thin line between having of a dream or oh, you're you're having fun, you're going to this place, and then suddenly everything could just end like that. But I am thankful I came out of it more uh, introspective and glad to still be here. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God to have you as well. Nice to know that you are very, very fine. As you were talking, you just reminded me of, um, I was reading the book of Ari Redknapp, former coach of Tottenham. And in 1990, the same experience that you had, 
1990, during 1990 World Cup, they were going to watch England play, I think, Cameroon in the quarterfinals. And as they were driving down, it was in Italy, funny enough. And as they were driving down, they had a massive accident. And he said the next time he saw himself was in the hospital bed. And at the time, he was, I think, was the coach of Bournemouth. And the owner of Bournemouth, they were good friends, he died in that accident and it was at the World Cup as well too. So just to buttress what you just said, that you're having fun, enjoying yourself and all of a sudden life changes within a twinkle of an eye. This is really scary. And and also because a day later, and the reason why I tweeted actually, I wouldn't probably have tweeted a day late, a day after that accident was when the news broke that the American journalist, what's his name, had died in the stadium. Yeah. In, in, you know, so it just shook me like it could have also ended for me, you know? <laughs> Scary. But thank goodness, thank goodness, thank, thank goodness. goodness. Thank God, yeah. yeah. Back to what brought us here today, the Victor Osimhen phenomenon. Some of us got to know him at the Under-17 World Cup where he scored a goal in virtually every single game. But I'm sure you would have known him way before then, being in jail. How did you get to know about Victor Osimhen? No, the truth is, for many Nigerian footballers, we only get to know them, especially the young boys, we only get to know them through the under-17 team. I first got to know him from the under-17 team, but when they played at the Africa Cup, at the Africa qualifiers, when he scored four goals as top scorer, that's when he first came into limelight. You see, the problem with the Nigerian space is that there are no competitions, organized competitions for academies. And the clubs, the way they are run, they don't really give chance, a chance to young players, to youth. So because they also don't have an organized system where youth comes through club system. So it's easy to lose or to miss talent in the Nigerian system because there's no organized system of academic championships under 15s, under 16s, under 13s, you know, like it is in many countries where you are already already able to profile them. So Victor wasn't playing organized football in terms of an academy that was playing in a champion. So until he was scouted and called up into the under 17, and then when they even scout all the under 17 boys, there's a there's secrecy around the national teams because you don't want people to know who we are taking. And then until they finally release the squad list, and but you can't really tell who is who by looking at their names, you know. So, but Victor shot into limelight when he went to the AFCON on a 17 championship in Niger and he scored four goals, led Nigeria third place. We didn't win, you know, but you could see something about him, his strength, his lanky, long legs, and you could tell that this guy had something. Fast forward to the World Cup and he blew, you know, blew up 10 goals, to break the record, you know. And so there was no more denying the fact that this guy had quality in him. But I have to go back because I, when I spoke to him in January, I realized that we were close in terms of proximity where I worked then. Before I joined Gold.com, I was correspondent for Tell Magazine. I was based in Ghana, but we had an office close to Olushosun where he grew up. I mean, I was telling him that um, my office used to be close to Olushosun. And I said there used to be a construction company. I mean, the estate was being constructed opposite my office. And then we would walk by the side of that construction area and go to eat Amala, you know, somewhere in that area. And he said, bros, I used to work in that construction company. I used to help them carry cement and all the construction things on my head. I said, wow. So 
this guy really came out of the dirt, came out of the dunghill and has risen to the top of international football. He's come through a dint of hard work, lots of heartbreak. His mom died when he was quite young. His father died a few years ago. Everything was up against him, but he's, you know, come out of it. It's just phenomenal. To our listeners, we've heard the area where Victor Osimhen grew up in a place called Olusosun, which is in Ojota in Lagos, Nigeria. Funny enough, I grew up in my hometown, which is in Korodu. So obviously, whenever you take the bus occasionally, one of the major bus stops is Olusosun bus stop, which is by a dump site in, in Ojota. So that's where Victor Osimhen grew up. And I can definitely tell you that I can see the humble beginning I can't say I identify with Zogu beginning, but knowing the area, I can see the humble beginning it came from. I had a conversation with Coach Emmanuel Amuneke, a former Nigerian legend, and um, he played for Barcelona, Pep Guardiola at some point in time, and he became the Nigerian under-17 coach. And he told me that when Osime came to the camp, the first few times he played, it wasn't going to take him. In fact, it wasn't even part of the plan, original plan. But one of their coaches convinced them to play him again. And that is the thin line between failure and success sometimes, where you almost stand no chance. But somebody somewhere, somewhere there still believes that you can be good. Now, after the World Cup, where he dazzled a lot of us, then he moved to Wolfsburg in Germany, a club you're well familiar with. And we've had the Nigerian player who became the top goal scorer at the under-17. And I'm talking about Chris Santos Macaulay. And... Obviously, with time, he went to Hamburg, then he fizzled out, played for some clubs, and we don't even know where he is today. But when Osime moved to Hussbock, for me, I was a bit scared at some point in time that this guy's talent might be truncated because he wasn't getting playing time. Talk us through his time in Germany. I just take us back a little bit after the under 17 World Cup and when he became a, a major international talk, major international potential talent, you know, for the big stage. He came back to Lagos, you know, like it's uh, most many Nigerian players do after the Under-17 World Cup because they were even playing for any organized side, any organized club or anything. So they have to wait and see if they can be signed, if they can enter uh, Europe. But he was quite young. He was 17, so he had to wait a year. So in that period, I remember I was now at Goal, Goal.com. So we had to do a profile of him. I did a profile of him for Goal and I, I wanted to interview him. But because his minders were all afraid, we don't want him to meet people. We don't want him to meet an agent. We don't want for any agent to steal him from us. So they kept him, you know, in a, in a, in a house and made sure that he had little access to, to, to the world or to the world of football and potential agents and stealers. So... But I was lucky that I had a great contact who worked at a TV station. So he told me, don't worry, whatever you want, I'll get it. Send me your questions for the interview and I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll send the questions to Victor. He will send back the answers to me and then I'll, I'll call you. So this was my first interview with, with Victor in 2016. You know, and I asked him, who's your role model, your model, your game after? And he told me, he said, Didier Drogba. He said, Didier Drogba. And I, I wrote about him in, in the profile for Goal.com that year. When he was also going to go to Wolfsburg, after all the talks, Arsenal, all these, because Chukwe and Chukweze and I think Kelechi, uh, they all went to Arsenal to trial. 
but he wanted to go to Wolfsburg. He chose Wolfsburg because of the opportunities for growth. He saw opportunities for growth. And when he was going to go to Wolfsburg, in the airport, my contact also sent me a picture of him with his dad as they were about to fly out. So I published the exclusive Victor Sime on his way to Germany to sign for Wolfsburg. So I had these contacts, but I didn't have direct connection with him until recently, until this year, when I eventually went to watch him in, in Naples and we had to sit down. Like you said, the failure or the bad luck of Chris Santos McCulling was hanging over him. McCulley, just like him, finished best scorer at the 2007 Under-17 Championship. Here was Victor almost a decade later. I mean, uh, Chris Santos went to Hamburg, failed injuries. Victor also went to Wolfsburg. It was a completely different environment. His father went with him at first. His brother joined, but he was, you know, he was in a really different place. First time traveling. It's a culture shock, really. Environment is different. The weather is, is nothing, you know, like where you are from. And he got injured. He played a few games, didn't score, then got injuries. And then these injuries kept him out of football for a long time. And there were articles in the media back home. Is this the end? Is there another... Santos Macaulay, all these things. He's also talked about this in interviews in recent times, you know. This is another Santos Macaulay. Is Nigeria just going to be bedeviled by all these uh, under 17 stars who cannot transition to adulthood? There was a lot of pressure on him, but you have to give it to Victor. He's got great strength of character. He got sent out on loan to Belgium. And then it was in Belgium that he found his foot, got his foot in, and then, you know, got the opportunity to really become the prospect that he was. From Talera in Belgium to, to Lille in France. I recently interviewed a journalist who, who covered him when he was at uh, Charleroi, and they could see that this guy had the quality. He told me, Francois Gary told me they, they knew this guy had quality in him. Just like now, they, they, they see Victor Boniface, they see Giftop, and they say, these guys, they can't stay long in, in Belgium. They are just here for a while, you know. So they knew that Victor had the quality in him, and he was just on, on a path, on a stop, a whistle stop through Belgium, you know. And then he went to Lille in France. It was at Lille, two seasons, that he really became that shining light. And got called into the, the Super Eagles for the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations. He didn't start until the third place. Did he start or uh, he came yeah, he in? He played in the third place. Yeah, he played in the third place game, you know. So Victor went through all this. Loss of form, injuries, mental breakdown that could have, you know, weakened other players. But you also have to give kudos to him, you know, he stood through it all, he, he fought his way back. And now he's one of the biggest strikers in, in world football and he's playing in a, in a historic city that is mad about football. And when you say mad about football, Naples is a different case altogether. Everywhere you go is full of, because they only have one football club. So everybody's behind Napoli, you know, and they worship, literally worship Maradona in that city. I've been. You mean uh, after his death? He, even before he died, they've always had a mural. You know, they retired his number 10 shirt. So there's never been any number 10 since Maradona. There, there, there's never been any number 10 for Napoli. So they've had that uh, link. They had a ride with a, uh, in a taxi. And this elderly man, he's, 50, oh, he's 60, so 63. 
and he was telling me about when he met Maradona in the in the in the eighties and how he felt like his life was so and even while he was telling me about Maradona, he showed me his arm. And he had goosebumps still talking about Maradona, a 63-year-old man. Well, you know, still had goosebumps talking about Diego Maradona. Can you believe? I've never seen such dedication to one player in a city or to a club, you know. So Victor is may not be Maradona, but he's inching towards semi, semi-deity in <laughs> Naples. And everywhere you go, like I was there last week for the Champions League. Now his his face masks are something you know that I taught him, and he's just brought new life, a new hope, a new zest for life into the city. Because also you have to also look at the history. Because going there, I realized that winning the scudetto is not just winning the scudetto for Napoli. It is about north south divide of Italy. Uh, Naples are in the south, and the other big clubs are all in the north. And they are richer, the, the Milans, the Turins, the Romes, they are all richer cities. And Udine, they're all in the in the north and they all have more money. And you go to Naples in the south and you see poverty staring you in the face in a European city. You see people on the streets, hundreds of people, homeless people just laying by the street side. Naples cannot afford to give homeless people homes or jobs. You understand? So... Football means so much more than anything. So winning the Scudetto, it will be the third time that uh, it is sudden because uh, Naples won it twice with Maradona in 87 and in 1990. No other Southern Italian team has won the Scudetto since. So this is a, this will be the third time that the Scudetto is going to Southern Italy and it means much more, much more than football. You know, it's like sticking up the middle finger to the north that we got this. Ahead of you. <laughs> so how is Osime Trek? I mean, you mentioned it briefly. What is his profile like now? First, as a striker, then secondly, as a black player. Because I have seen some pictures of where little boys now wear is a um, mask care. It's now like a brand. Obviously, he had an injury. It was quite serious. That um, and should that now means that he would have to be wearing that mask gear for uh, as long as he plays. But it's now become a brand. How is this in generally as a person? You have to also realize that the mask in Italian culture is is a cultural totem. They have mask dances. They, you know, in 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 traditional Italian high society, they have all these mask dance uh, carnivals and things. So now with Osima's injury and that mask becoming an identity, it's taking on so much more for them. It's like the mask of Zorro, if you if you say that. Is this knight in a mask? coming to rescue and to, you know, giving his all on the field. And you need to see his personality. Victor's personality is never say that. You, you saw it. I mean, I was pitch side making pictures during the Milan quarterfinal game in the Champions League. They played in Naples. I was pitch side and you could see him shouting and fighting and at every point. And he never gave up. You know, he had just come back from injury. They missed him for three games. And those three games, Naples struggled. Napoli struggled. But this game, back from injury, I'm glad that the coach did not take him off because 
normally they would you know haul him off and i mean he had just come back from injury you say okay let's find somebody else maybe could you know give us uh, the the two goals we need but the coach luckily didn't take him out and victor fought till the end and scored the one for the one one unfortunately they were they were they were eliminated two on an aggregate but the fans know that this guy is passionate about our game he loves the city. He loves winning. He loves scoring for the shirt. And so they, they literally worship him. I was, I mean, outside where the players come out, uh, the players exit, and fans were waiting for him past midnight because he had to be taken into uh, doping control. And so he came out late. Every other player had departed. That Victor came out late and... Fans were still waiting past midnight to, to for him to to sign autographs on their shirts and and take pictures. And Victor did this. He didn't say he was tired. And so this is the quality he has. He didn't say he was tired. He still smiled for the pictures. He'd say, "Let me finish with them, and then we we'll go." And he did each and every of the, one of the fans about 20, 30 people waiting outside. He did these pictures with them, and. We went to dinner with a few people that came from Nigeria and the musician Peter of Peace Square, nightclub business mogul, Ibana chief priest. You know, we had dinner, we had dinner at a luxury restaurant. We finished about 4 a.m. and there were still people waiting outside for Victor and he still took pictures with them and still smiled and still signed their shirts and they were hugging. And there's there's a lot of love for him in Naples. He's completely made himself into an icon for that city. And in terms of being black, Naples is a city where you find many black people in the city. And I have to say, as a black person, I've been to Paris, I've been to many European cities. I remember one time walking in Paris, I had just left the Louvre and I was walking towards, I mean, I'm walking to the bus stop and there were a group of people coming. And I noticed that the, the, the lady among them shifted her bag onto the side because there was this black guy who was walking towards them. She shifted her bag. And I'm like, wow, this is how black people are perceived in this city. But I'm in Naples at night and I'm walking behind two white women, two Italian women, young and they never shifted their bags. And I saw, wow, there's a difference in perception of a Black person in Naples and in other cities. I mean, from my experience in Paris or even in Cape Town, where I once saw two white women move to the other side because they saw a Black guy walking on the street. So I saw a different perception of, of Black people in Naples. There are a lot of Black people there. And so I think Victor is heartily loved and he loves back. He gives his all on the pitch and that's what the football fans want to see. Thank you very much, Olade. I've got to let you go now because I know you've had to take time out of your very, very, very busy and tight schedule and I really appreciate it. And thanks for highlighting a lot about Victor Simon and I'm sure in years to come, uh, we're going to celebrate him. I know there's a lot of rumors about him moving, linking him to even the club I support, Newcastle. I know we're not going to buy him because our model is quite different. But 
when that time comes we will know and i'm sure it will all be in the media space so there you have it please subscribe to our podcast leave your comments let us know what you think what you feel and until we'll come you again my name is Oba Atiola Mokomo and until we'll come you again with a new edition have a wonderful day